Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning Shot. Welcome to Morning Shot. I am Imad Akhtar. In what's been seen as a historic election, Taiwanese voters have picked the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP's candidate, Dr. William Lai Ching-te, as their next president. This marks the first power transfer within the independence-leaning party in an outcome that will likely inflame cross-strait tensions with China. The DPP lost its legislative majority, securing 51 seats out of the 113 available. The Kuomintang, or KMT, took the most seats with 52, and the Taiwan's People's Party, or TPP, won eight seats, while the two remaining seats went to independent candidates. So what is next for Taiwan? Well, for more insights, we're joined by Ross Feingold, Research Director at Cyrus Consulting. Ross, how are you? Good morning from Taipei. Good to have you on, Ross. First and foremost, let's cut straight to the chase here. What's your interpretation of the election results and what were some of the key factors that shaped the eventual outcome? Well, it seems that a majority were actually disappointed with DPP rule. That's why uh, Lai Ching-do was elected with 40% and 60% went to the other two candidates. And the same could be said for the outcome in Taiwan's parliament, known as the Legislative UN, where the DPP, which just had a majority or won a majority in the previous two elections uh, for eight years, they've had the majority, but they lost that majority too. Uh, so it, it seems that the public was disappointed with the, the incumbent party, but the way that the system works, uh, the, the uh, incumbent party was able to retain the presidency for really the first time that they're going to have it three times in a row. The China issue you know, weighs on a lot of voters' minds, of course, personal economic issues. Uh, for people who want to keep some distance from China and not try to get too close to China, then obviously the DPP is their choice, and that's why they got 40% uh, of the electorate. But again, have to keep in mind that the the winner only got 40% and 60% voted for someone else. Mm. Now let's touch on that 40% uh, in the election that Dr. Lai won. For the first time since 2008, that means that Taiwan is going to have a hung parliament because no single party has an absolute majority. And this is in contrast to current President Tsai Ing-wen, who was re-elected by a landslide four years ago with more than 50% of the vote. Does this then mean, Ross, that Dr. Lai's job is going to be more challenging in attempting to avoid legislative gridlock? Absolutely. Although the, the president does have an enormous amount of executive authority that they could use to keep the government working day to day, uh, getting anything through Taiwan's parliament is going to be extraordinarily difficult. And based on past experience, when Taiwan had a hung parliament, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of uh, antics and hijinks and chaos uh, as uh, opposition politicians try to get in the media every day and try and point out shortcomings in the performance of the executive. Branch. So unfortunately, uh, not only did, did he only win with 40%, which really a struggle, you got you struggle to call that a mandate from the voters, uh, but also he's going to have to deal with a parliament where his own party doesn't have an absolute majority. All right, let's delve into some of the domestic issues that dominated the campaign trail. We have among them the high cost of housing and stagnating wages. What kind of approach are you expecting Dr. Lai to take on those particular issues? Well, we can sum it up in one word, 
subsidies. They're going to offer subsidies for as, to the public for as many things as possible. And that's also what the public expects. So there's going to be subsidy for young people renting homes, subsidies for child care, subsidies for elder care. Taiwan is a bit of a nanny state in that regard. Uh, so I expect Dr. Lai to try and solve a lot of those problems simply by giving away money. All right. Now, there is no doubt that the international community had its eyes on this election. It's been watching it very closely because of its implications, of course, on Taiwan's relationship with China. Dr. Lai himself is a noted proponent of Taiwan's independence. But in his victory speech, he offered something different, dialogue and cooperation. Will his term likely be a Tsai 3.0 or perhaps a fresh start this time around? Most likely, at least in the initial few months or even the first couple of years, it's going to be Tsai 3.0, especially when it comes to foreign policy or, or, or uh, policy towards the mainland. Uh, he's probably going to have to retain some of the same officials, uh, keeping in mind that they've been governing for eight years. There's probably not a lot of fresh faces out there to join government. So it's probably going to be some of the same people. The, the chairs might might be reshuffled so people might come into government or into wise government with a different job than they had in the outgoing side government. But he'll probably keep a lot of the same people. And uh, he could offer dialogue and cooperation as much as he wants to China. But chances are China's not going to talk to him. Well, how would you compare the two's leadership style? I'm referring to Dr. Lai and the current president, Tsai Ing-wen. What are the traits that sort of separate them? Oh, that, that's a great question. Uh, you know, looking at, at them from afar, their styles are actually somewhat similar. Uh, maybe that's why Tsai was comfortable bringing in Lai as vice president for the past four years. They're a bit understated. They're a bit unemotional. I wouldn't call either of them uh, terrific public speakers, uh, but uh, they have both had long careers in politics, and they've proven by winning elections that they are good enough to gain support of the electorate. All right, let's talk about China's view on this election. Now, following Dr. Lai's victory, China said reunification with Taiwan remained inevitable. Uh, how would you read into that reaction, considering the ongoing tensions between both sides? Uh, I think they're signaling that the tensions are going to continue. Ultimately, what this comes down to is the current Thai government and the new Lai government. They don't accept something called the 1992 consensus, which is an understanding between the two sides that they belong to one China. The mainland calls it PRC, and over here on Taiwan, they call it ROC. Uh, but if Lai is not going to accept it, and, and there's no reason to believe that he will, uh, unlike Tsai's predecessor, Ma Ying-jeou, who did accept it, uh, if, if uh, Lai, like Tsai, doesn't accept it, then China's not going to talk to him. And I think we're going to see a lot of the similar actions from China that we saw over the past eight years to show its displeasure with the mainland policy of the government here in Taiwan. All right. Now, another big player in this whole scenario is the United States. And under the DPP's administration in the last eight years, uh, it's become increasingly clear that Taiwan has moved closer to the U.S. Do you think the same kind of dynamics will continue under Dr. Lai? And perhaps maybe the bigger question on people's minds is what's next for Taiwan on the global stage from an economic perspective? Well, the United States is uh, by far Taiwan's most important partner, especially on security. Uh, most of Taiwan's weapons are sold to it by the United States. It's the United States that's been increasingly offering uh, assistance in military 
military training. Uh, and it's the United States that most often speaks out on the international stage for Taiwan, for example, to participate in, in uh, uh, international organizations as an observer. Uh, but that, that's a great segue into the, the rest of the question, what's next for Taiwan on the global stage economically. It seems that Taiwan is going to continue to be under pressure to move its manufacturing, especially in the tech industry, out of China. The, the two biggest examples that we've seen there is Apple has uh, uh, put a lot of pressure on Taiwan's Foxconn Honai to move some production to India. And the United States, uh, as did Germany and Japan, they put some pressure on TSMC to uh, start building semiconductor fabs in those countries. Uh, I think we're going to see some more pressure from the U.S. for Taiwan not to be so reliant on China to, to, uh, economically, keeping in mind that Taiwan's biggest export destination is China. Mm. And it's also still a key manufacturing of for Taiwan-owned companies. So I think we'll see some pressure from the U.S. for Taiwan to put pressure on its own companies to do more of this so-called reshoring or friendshoring. All right, so more pressure from the U.S. on Taiwan economically, but also politically, because U.S. President Joe Biden came out after the election results and stated that the U.S. doesn't support Taiwan independence, uh, which is interesting coming in a key election year for Biden. What do you make of that? He's just repeating standard policy. The U.S. has its one China policy, which is not the same as China's one China principle. Uh, but under the U.S. one China policy, they have consistently for decades not supported uh, Taiwan's independence. That doesn't mean that they oppose it or would do anything to oppose it. They're just saying we don't we don't support it. Uh, but I think the thing to keep in mind here is if we fast forward another 10 months from now and Donald Trump wins the U.S. election, then I think U.S.-Taiwan relations are going to be very, very different, keeping in mind that a Trump administration would bring back a lot of those tough-on-China, China hawks into the administration, many of whom are big, big supporters of Taiwan. So Biden administration has been friendly to Taiwan. They do put some breaks on that relationship, like the president publicly repeated, we don't support Taiwan independence. Uh, but again, if, if the Trump administration comes back, I think Taiwan is going to have a lot more space to pursue its own identity. Yeah, the U.S. election remains perhaps one of the biggest risks for this year. Many analysts have even said it surpasses the likes of the Russia-Ukraine war and Israel-Hamas war in terms of risks to the global economy. Let's end things off here with China and Taiwan again here, Ross. Uh, it seems China is likely to keep up military and economic pressure as Lai Qingta prepares to take over the reins from Tsai Ing-wen. But some analysts still think tensions are unlikely to turn into an all-out invasion. Do you think war is potentially on the cards? Well, I like to answer this question by saying uh, the stakeholders in Taiwan, whether it's the civilian political leaders, the national security apparatus, the corporate world or the public, they have to take China's threats very, very seriously. China is investing a lot of money in its military for preparation to invade Taiwan. So the people here in Taiwan, the key stakeholders, you have to assume the threat is real and act accordingly. All right, Ross, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. That was Ross Feingold, a research director at Cyrus Consulting. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.